Welcome to Adaptation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. I'm your host, Steve Katazi, and we have such a powerful and positive conversation coming up. I'll be speaking to one of the best meditation teachers globally, Danny Penman, about, you guessed it, <laughs> the life-changing effects of practicing mindfulness and meditation. And as I said, Danny Penman is considered one of the best meditation and mindfulness teachers globally. With one and a half million plus copies sold of his best-selling book, Mindfulness, A Practical Guide to Finding Peace in a Frantic World. And his materials are used to teach schools, universities, and hospitals around the world how to teach mindfulness, which is pretty incredible. As an award-winning journalist, teacher, and best-selling author, Danny has a unique perspective on the value and impact of meditation. Moreover, his personal discovery of the power of mindfulness is both shocking and inspiring. And let's face it, the global mental health issues are escalating due to the mountain stress-inducing triggers in our lifestyles and the lack of sufficient prioritization on breathing, calmness, and mindfulness. Mindfulness is clinically proven to be one of the most effective treatments for anxiety, stress and depression, which is pretty powerful stuff. And it is also widely accepted that meditation and time away from rumination frees our minds to think of new solutions, be more compassionate and have deeper levels of gratitude. And I can one attest to all of those benefits. And it's for these reasons and the fact that I am early on my own journey of discovering a better life through meditation and mindfulness that I thought it would be an amazing opportunity to get some direct coaching from the meditation guy. I'll tell you what, I absolutely love my job. The fact I get access to the leading experts in their respective fields and can have a deep dive discussion with them is amazing. And for you, hey, you get a value too and hopefully ask the questions that are on your mind. So what do we talk about in particular? Well, to be honest, best bet is to go to the show notes in your podcast app. There's a link there straight to the adaptation.io website where we go through everything that we do discuss. But in essence, Danny's going to share his story of how he found mindfulness and meditation, which is a pretty powerful story. And then we're going to talk about happiness, rumination, negativity, stress, anxiety, depression, and how mindfulness and meditation can bring balance, calm, and happiness into an otherwise frantic life. We talk about so many things, including breathing techniques and how to not lose a good thought in the middle of a mindfulness practice. Um, we even go through a mindfulness practice live on the mics, as well as defining what mindfulness is and isn't, which I think will surprise you. And is it possible to fail at meditation? Or does every rep count? Sound good? Great. Well, let's get into this. We've got Danny Penman on all things mindfulness and meditation and why we all should seriously consider bringing in some form of mindfulness practice into our lives starting today. Enjoy, guys. Okay. All right. All right. 
Well, Danny, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Guys, we have Danny Penman on the call today. Now, Danny is known mostly for his meditation books, and you'll find several of those on Amazon or any other popular bookstore if you do a quick search for his name, or Mindfulness, A Practical Guide, and they will come up. Um, Great books, um, clearly an expert in this field, also an award-winning journalist as well and a meditation teacher. So I thought it'd be great to speak with Danny because I'm curious and embryonic in my um, exploration of meditation mindfulness. And I think it is such an important topic today. So Danny, welcome to the podcast. No, delighted to be on. And I I know that my whirlwind of an introduction has done you no credit whatsoever. So why don't we get started with you just letting us all know, like, you know, who's Danny Penman? Like, how have you come um, come to be the man today who's an expert in meditation? How did you find that specialism? Well, um, it was from flying into the side of a mountain, actually. Um, it's, it's, I had a very dramatic introduction to this whole field. Um, I used to be a very keen paraglider pilot, um, this is about 10 or 12 years ago. It was the absolute centre of my life. And, you know, if it was a decent sunny day in southern England, you would find me flying somewhere. And about well, it was 12 years ago now, I, I was flying over the Cotswolds and um, my paragliding canopy collapsed. I mean, it just completely uh, imploded. And I plunged to, onto the hillside below and luckily, I landed on my feet. Uh, but unluckily, the um, the lower half of my right leg was um, driven through the knee and into the thigh. So this was like an absolutely horrific accident. And as you can imagine, um, it was extremely painful. <laughs> and I... Um, in sheer desperation, as I was lying on on the hillside, I uh, obviously had no painkillers, so I decided to use a med- form of meditation I'd learned um, in, in in secondary school in sixth form uh, many many years before, and I'd used this over the years. It was a very simple breathing uh, meditation, and I'd used this meditation off and on for times of acute stress, you know, exams, uh, job interviews, uh, you know, when the workload at work was getting too much. You know, whenever the stress or anxiety uh, hit me, I would I would often go off and uh, do very simple breathing meditations. And typically what would happen is I'd do it for a few days. Um, the, the, you know, the anxiety or stress would just evaporate and I'd just go back to normal day-to-day life until the next uh, thing hit me a year or later whatever I would do it again and probably clear up uh, and I you know it, it was a part of my life but it wasn't a center point of it at all so there I was lying on the hillside and I thought right I'm gonna have to give this a go because somewhere along the line I had learned or heard that uh meditation was a form of pain relief or you could use it for pain relief and so I began to uh, focus on my breathing and 
much to my surprise, uh, the pain began to dissipate. Uh, it didn't go completely. It was almost like there was a pane of glass between me and the pain. And what this meant was, it meant that I could, you know, just do all of the things you have to do in such a situation, such as phoning for an ambulance, uh, just generally keeping things together uh, until help arrived. And, you know, I, I found this tremendously effective. Uh, I mean, the pain didn't go completely. I mean, we've got a, you know, um, it's good, but it's not that good. Um, anyway, they, they carted me off to hospital. I had three major operations, um, two of them in the first month. And I, the, my leg was broken in about 10 or 12 places. I think it was, it was a real mess. And I had what was known as a Taylor spatial frame fitted to my leg. And what this did was it, it was four or five concentric titanium rings that went around the outside of my leg. And then there were 16 wires and bolts that um, went in one side of the leg through a fragment of bone and out the other side of my leg and attached to the frame. And this allowed, held all the pieces of my bones in the right position so they could heal effectively. As you can imagine, this thing was extremely uncomfortable to have attached to your leg. Um, at one stage, I was taking 40 pills a day just to control all of the difficulties, you know, uh, extreme pain. Um, they were giving me all kinds of odd things like anti-sickness medication, uh, Valium to stop muscle spasms. You know, I was on, I was a cocktail of drugs, <laughs> you know. Um, I felt absolutely awful. I was in Montra Hospital and again, I used the uh, very simple meditations to kind of keep me on an even keel. And I found that I managed to cope with the pain an awful lot more effectively. I, I reduced my intake of painkillers by about two thirds. Uh, my healing uh, sp sped up dramatically. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I was, it was the happiest period of my life, but, you know, I could cope. And, you know, I coped an awful lot better than uh, I thought I would under the circumstances. And as you can imagine, I had a lot of time on my hands during this during this period of my life. Um, and I spent it um, just, just kind of uh, <laughs> just reading books and papers. And eventually I came across a little tiny article in the back of Financial Times magazine, of all things, about, it was about two or three hundred words. It was tiny, about oh, the work of a professor at Oxford University, a psychologist who'd turned uh, meditation into a treatment for uh, anxiety, stress and depression. In fact, it, was, it turned out this was the most effective treatment. It was at least as good as drugs or counselling for, for the worst forms of depression. But crucially, I suddenly realised this was the meditation that I'd been using. I just knew it was meditation, but it was actually uh, known as mindfulness meditation. And the treatment that had been developed was mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. And I, I was a journalist at the time. 
And I immediately contacted Mark Williams at Oxford, who he's the guy who developed this, co-developed this technique. And, um, you know, I explained how, how I'd find it useful. I'd found it incredibly useful. And I did my best to get this into a newspaper. Um, but of course, 12 years ago, absolutely nobody was interested in meditation. Uh, nobody's heard of mindfulness for a start. And, you know, I felt like I was banging my head against the wall, but eventually I got something in a very small piece in the, the Daily Telegraph, I think it was. And I was quite disappointed by this because this was a technique that I had found tremendously useful and I just wanted everybody to know about it. Um, so I agreed to work with Mark uh, just to take it to the widest possible audience. And that book turned into Mindfulness, a, a practical guide to finding peace in a frantic world. And uh, it's gone on, you know, it's exceeded our wildest dreams, really. I thought it maybe sell 5,000 copies or something, but it's sold uh, one and a half million or so now. So it's it's become, you know, quite, quite, quite a good uh, bestseller, really. Wow. And how, and was that, was that a kind of organic, growth or did you have you found over the last couple of years it's blossomed and the interest has peaked um well it's it's interesting actually because it did well initially and then it flatlined for about six months then all of a sudden we woke up one morning and it had just become a bestseller um literally like that um it just suddenly caught people's uh, imaginations and minds and yeah the whole field of mindfulness just took off and uh yeah, I mean, it, it, I think the reason it was so successful or continues really is because it's become the main book that's used in, um, in you know mindfulness courses across the country and across America, and it's used by hospitals and universities, and colleges, lots of businesses use it as well. So it, it's you know, I think it, people realised these techniques could work and would be powerful but there was no one place they could go to and that that's what our book did is is it kind of pulled everything together and packaged it up as a as an eight-week course that you could literally just pick up and run with and the success of that book has led you to really kind of focus in on meditation as a kind of full-time discipline for you in terms of what you write about and where you spend most yeah. of your time? Yes, that's right. Um, I, as, as I was writing the book, the first book, you know, I began to train as a, as a meditation teacher. And, yeah, I've taken it from there, really. Uh, so it's become, yeah, it's, it's the centre of my life personally, um, as in, I, I do this every day. I practice what I preach. Um, but learning how to teach it as well has, you know, it opens your eyes. You know, it's often said that you only really understand something when you begin to teach it. And I think that's true. Well, I think it is so relevant. And thank you for sharing that, Danny. That's a really useful context. It really puts some perspective as to why you found meditation and, and yeah. how it's been such a an emotionally important thing for you. Yeah. Just a couple of thoughts here, Danny, and then maybe we can explore um, this new book that uh, I've had the opportunity to have a pre-read and it is fantastic. Uh, a short read of the art, art of breeding, 
beautifully designed, uh, just calm and serene. And it's just the way it's been put together and easily to cons- easy to consume. But my thoughts on on mindfulness, and maybe you can you can comment. It feels like it's the antidote for men- our mental health issues that just seem to be becoming much more evident, much more spoken about, less taboo, um, and quite frankly, probably rising through the the myriad of um, difficulties we face in you know a complex, interconnected, hmm. uh, socially anxious world. Um, it feels like it's it's a response to our growing anxiety, stress, and quite frankly, unfulfillment. Mm. Um, so I'm really interested in this personally and for our audience. You said a couple of things in, in this latest book that really just kind of hit me. You said two things. I'd love to come over. Let's just get a key off yeah. on these. Firstly, you said happiness is fleeting whilst unhappiness lingers. And then the second thing you said is most of life's difficulties are only half as bad as they appear while the good things are two to three times as intense. And both of those resonated. Let's start there. Let's start yeah. about happiness and generally our response to or no, our decision as to whether we're going to be in a good mood or a bad mood. Yeah. It's um firstly nature does not care whether we are happy or unhappy. The only thing nature cares about is whether we survive, survive the next moment or two or survive the next few years. Um so this idea that we are born to be happy and fulfilled is, uh, well, <laughs> I wish it was true, but it ain't. <laughs> um, now, that does not mean we have to be unhappy. Uh, but once you understand where nature is coming from, uh, you can then kind of start to take corrective action. Because when you, if you put somebody in a brain scanner or, you know, a similar technique and um, look at the impact of positive experiences and negative experiences on the brain, you realise that um, uh, negative experiences have a far, far bigger impact than positive ones. Uh, Now, the reason for that is really quite simple. Um, We are hardwired from the ground up to avoid negative experiences. We are looking for them all of the time. And uh, that's just for straightforward survival reasons. It, it's buried deeply inside us in the, the reptile brain, as it were. Now, positive experiences are generally um, such things as, you know, getting some food or, you know, finding somewhere warm and comfortable or sex, things like that. And whilst those are all welcome, in the short term, they don't really have much of an impact on our chances of survival, whereas avoiding a predator has a huge impact. So that means we're always on the lookout for danger and we've got half an eye out for an opportunity. Um, And in practice, what this means is it takes five positive experiences of equal magnitude to outweigh a single negative experience. Now, when you think about that, yeah, it's perfectly logical. Um, but you've also got to then adjust the intensity in your mind of positive and negative experiences, which means when something good happens, you've got to consciously spend a little time to savour them. You know, if you're having a cup of coffee or a biscuit, whatever, you know, really focus on the experience of drinking that coffee, of eating that biscuit or breathing in fresh air. 
uh, whatever it is, anything that's positive, spend a little time to ex uh, really experience it. Negative ones, um, likewise, you've got to just take a step back and realise, you know, it's probably not as bad as it seems. Uh, it may, you know, if something, if, you, if your boss tells you off at work, um, he might just be in a grumpy mood. He's not about to sack you. He's just in a bad mood. Um, or maybe you're kind of over-interpreting what your boss or a friend or a relative has just said. Um, now, of course, that experience to you at that moment is absolutely real. But if you consciously take a step back, not think about it too much, not worry about it too much, just let it wash over you, you'll find it diminishes. And that's what mindfulness really does. It allows you to uh, get in contact with the positive experiences and get a more accurate feel for negative experiences. So it gives you context. That's how mindfulness works. It enhances your your the, the context of every experience. So you're saying you can you can prevent me from ruminating yes. and having negative thoughts fester for you know minutes, hours, days, weeks, because hey, it happens to all of us, right? Absolutely. Even the most well-intentioned, controlled, you know, disciplined individuals can still fester like, on, the, on an idea or something that's just not working for them right now. Absolutely. And getting away from that can sometimes be challenging because we we just spiral out oh, of control yeah. of negative thought, or at least I, that's been my experience with the people that I know too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that is absolutely true. And, you know, one thought triggers the next and the next and the next. So one negative thought or experience can very quickly consume your whole life. And, uh, you know, rumination is the biggest single source of anxiety, stress and depression. Um, you know, because if these negative thoughts go from hours to days to weeks and months, they will consume your life. And, you know, it's very easy to say what I've just said. It's very much more difficult to step away from it and to start correcting these negative experiences. And the way you do that is by spending a little time each day, uh, 10 or 20 minutes, doing mindfulness meditation. And gradually, everything falls into place, falls into context. You know, it's like a vantage point where you can see all of the negative and all the positive things. And you just see them as like clouds in the sky or bumps in the road, that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's not a Pollyanna attitude at all. It's actually uh, ex almost experiencing, well, it is experiencing the negative as well as the positive. And when you do so, you realise that, you know, uh, you know, life is full of ups and downs. And, you know, um, when you realise that, life suddenly becomes a lot better overall, a lot happier. So, Danny, um, you mentioned this in your books. So maybe you, uh, we can we can use this as a jumping off point for what you've just said. Um, something like mindfulness is observation without criticism. Yeah, and I think we need to kind of pause on that and 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 explain that mindfulness is observation without criticism. Can you can dig into that a little bit? Yeah, often when we uh, some, something hits us daily life uh, whatever it is whether we're stuck in a traffic jam or an argument uh, with some somebody uh, or something goes wrong you know maybe the food we ordered in a restaurant is not that good you know often small things can end up triggering a cascade of thoughts now if you can just 
observe things as they had to happen to you rather than immediately leaping to judge things as you know positive or negative um you forestall the whole process of rumination it's rumination that is the source of anxiety stress and depression it's often not the event itself that triggered it you know so it's not if something bad happens accept it as bad and uh it's you know almost say to or say to yourself you know it's okay not to like this and move on and you move on by really paying attention to what is going on around you you know if um simple things <clears throat> excuse me like um paying attention to the breath um paying attention to what you're eating it, it is the, the the process of observing life as it unfolds rather than constantly criticizing that is the key to a happy life so one one would one could respond uh danny and say okay i don't really get this mindfulness and meditation stuff it sounds complicated and woohoo and a bit bit too buddhist yeah. for me um i can just uh, um logically mm. back myself out of negativity right yeah. so for example i was speaking with my wife today a couple of hours before we got on the mics yeah and she's in 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 a in a, a place of rumination she's yeah. got herself in a in a worried state about something going on which to be honest in grand scheme of things is not a big deal and you know i'm a logical guy <laughs> <laughs> and you know i try and i try and persuade her through logic that you know she's overthinking it it's not a big issue um so one could argue that you know the way to get yourself out of a funk is to logically understand that you're in a funk and you're overthinking it and you're, you're making it making a mountain out of a molehill why would you respond and say actually logic alone is insufficient and that you need something like gratitude or mindfulness uh, observing observation versus reacting why would you need that and not just like logically get yourself out of the problem uh, because it works yeah, it's as simple <laughs> as that <laughs> um thing is Yes, we are we are capable of thinking logically and rationally, and but we also use an awful lot of uh, shortcuts in our mind, uh, instincts. Uh, you know, uh, we are thinking and feeling creatures, and if you ignore the feeling, uh, you you're only living half a life. But more importantly, uh, you will not find a solution to your problems. You know. Um, the evidence is overwhelming that mindfulness is the single most effective way of dealing with the worst forms of depression and it is highly effective at least as good as drugs or counseling for for depression and anxiety and stress of lesser magnitude as well you know it is one of the biggest mental health breakthroughs in the past few decades um, of course, the irony is it's two and a half thousand years old, but people forgot about it for, you know, most of that two and a half thousand years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, convince yourself logically, look at the evidence. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Um, I'm just trying to put it in context. So, yeah. I don't know, like someone is, you know, quite often a lot of our stresses and anxieties are due to other people. Um, you know, it's usually relationships. Mm. I'm not saying it's exclusively relationships, but when you kind of ask the why and you double click into the problem that people are facing, it's usually other people. 
<laughs> in my experience, at least. Anyway, what other people thinking, doing, judging, you know, responding to. Yeah. And you start telling yourself a story of they're they're doing this, you know, maliciously, or they're you know, this. You start over exaggerating the issue. Yeah. Um, how do you get yourself out there and go? You know, you've got yourself in a bit of a state. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you're thinking worst case. You probably have got the awareness to know you're thinking worst case. Yeah. Um, how do you get yourself out of that funk and enter into a place of uh, calm, observation, careful thinking, perhaps even some curious solutioning for what might be the next step forward? Yeah. What, what's the what's the the way to break the pattern? Um. Slightly facetiously, I would say, consider the possibility that it's not other people that are the problem, it's you. <laughs> I agree. I know I agree with that 100%, by the way, uh, 100%. Yeah. It's the response, it's the reaction and response to people, yeah, typically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I do this like everybody else, you know. Uh, you can be sitting there in traffic, somebody cuts you up, and you think, why is he doing that? What an idiot. What, blah, 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 blah. You know, I do it. Um, I do it less than I used to, but it still happens from time to time. Of course, logically, you should mentally take a step back and go, well, actually, he might be pushing in because he's getting out of the way of a truck that is careering towards him. Or, uh, I mean, there are a myriad reasons why somebody might cut you up in traffic. Um, probably one in 10 of them, one in 100 of them is because he's being a bit of an idiot. Um, most likely explanation is he's made a mistake. And we all make mistakes. Um, so what mindfulness does is it allows you to cut other people some slack for a start. It also helps you to realise that your thoughts are essentially running away with themselves. You know, one thought, you begin to see how one thought triggers the next and the next and the next. So what started out as one small annoying situation spirals out of control very quickly to ruin hour after hour day after day you know and when you see that process happening in real time after a while you your thoughts just lose their momentum you know you might get initially annoyed that somebody's cut you up but after two or three thoughts they've just lost their momentum and you can just kind of carry on with your life and, you know, hopefully live a, a less stressful, less anxious, less unhappy life. So you're talking about abstraction almost from, you know, the thing that, you know, works between, you know, your two ears that manifests these thoughts is to distance yourself from your, your own thought almost and yeah. see them occurring and go, is that is that helpful? Is that productive? Do I need that? Or help me understand that a little bit more. How do you do that live, like real time? Well, first off, um, once your thoughts are running away with themselves, it's extremely difficult to stop them. Certainly you won't stop them logically. So the idea is to build up a practice, daily practice, so that after you've been doing this for, you know, 10 or 20 minutes a day, maybe a few days, a few weeks, whatever, um, you start to see the triggers and you can then diffuse those triggers by maybe when you see a stressful situation developing you just take a moment to close your eyes and concentrate on your breathing and that is immediately calming and so then your thoughts no longer gain momentum to run away with themselves 
And this process builds up over days and weeks and years. Um, you know, mindfulness is not an instant panacea. Uh, you know, you can instantly calm down with some of the very simple meditations in, in, in my books, that's for sure. But very quickly, your old states of mind and patterns of thinking will reassert themselves. So you need to do this pretty much every day. And yeah. when you say do do this, you're talking about taking time out when you're not necessarily stressed, when there isn't necessarily an, uh, yeah. a trigger to to practice this awareness, mindfulness, gratitude, peace. Yeah. So then when you're confronted in those kind of real-time moments, you've got some experience and muscle memory to kind of return to a place of more objective evaluation. Yeah. yeah, yes, exactly. I mean, of course, it's the nature of things. People begin to practice mindfulness when when they need to, when they're mm -hmm. stressed or usually depressed. Um, and then they will come out of it. And, you know, a significant proportion will just stop meditating. It's entirely understandable. Um, it's done its job. Um, and then at some point, those negative states of mind will reassert themselves. And hopefully at that point, they will begin to meditate again. And once this process has repeated itself several times, you know, I hope that people will then start to do this every day or most days. You know, you only need to meditate for 10 or 20 minutes a day for it to completely transform your life over the long term. Yeah, I mean, I've I've practiced um, meditation. I've, I say it when you use the word meditation, it sounds like you're doing something quite convoluted and uh, hippie. Uh, you know, I'm yeah. I'm literally talking about you know being in a in a dark room for ten minutes in the morning with headspace in my ears, yeah. and doing some guided breathing and kind of objective evaluation of my body and my thoughts and it's not particularly complex i definitely wouldn't call it a thing it's just a, yeah. a process i follow and i had been doing that for quite a while danny and and i definitely could say you know hand on heart categorically i had a lightness a slight calmness a slight um, more compassion slightly more yeah. curiosity going into the day i could see it being beneficial but again honestly I've dropped it and I've dropped it for no good reason other than it's like it's it's time 10 or 20 minutes and I'm evaluating my morning and I'm going well that thing can drop because it's not it's a nice to have yeah but now I'm sensing that that nice to have needs to reappear yeah how, how do you encourage people to keep this quote-unquote nice to have thing going because without it with its absence life just is a little harder yeah yeah well firstly um well, several things. Um, firstly, apps are great, but they're less effective for teaching meditation. Um, there's been a few studies now that show they're less effective than uh, books or courses. Um, we actually have an app, um, but we always view it as a companion to the book because the book is just better. Um, okay. And... Uh, even though the app contains all the meditations in the book, there is something about conceptual. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's also you, what you have is a device that nags you and pesters you all day long, and then you hope it's going to help you calm down. Well, probably <laughs> won't really. <laughs> um, whereas if you have a book or you've been on a course, <clears throat> you know you will you will learn how to do this w without any props. 
and that's that's that should be the ultimate long-term goal um and yeah sorry i I lost the oh yes um also if you look at how much time you waste each day just running through kind of negative states of mind or Mm -hmm. habits and that kind of thing that is multiples of the amount of time that you spend practicing meditation and meditation will free you from all of those negative states of mind and habits that you just constantly run through you you know habits will consume hours of your life and yet people are resistant to meditating for 10 20 minutes that will liberate many hours each day it's it's crazy danny isn't it i I do something i don't know if you do any kind of stoic practice beyond meditation itself but um i do like a cold shower most yeah. mornings and i do some wim hof breathing actually it's yeah. a form of mindfulness i guess um and i do that first thing in the morning whilst i'm in the shower and it's um it's now a non-negotiable it happens every day and i've been doing it for about two years i love it i i, I get the euphoric feeling immediately afterwards it, it brings me enough value to maintain it but I've yet to convince anyone else that I know to do it. And I will give you the most compelling sales pitch ever about how I feel and the process. And could you imagine feeling this way? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I ain't going to do it though. And, <laughs> and I feel like meditation is similar, right? It's like, yeah. okay, logically, I could, I can hypothesize. I can, you know, I can go through this thought experiment of, yes, it's probably quite good for you. Yeah. But trying to convince someone to take action is very difficult unless they feel enough pain and they can associate the relief that relieving that pain with something as simple as meditation have you found how have you found the process of kind of convincing or encouraging people to to not only give it a go but you know mm-hmm. sustain a practice well i mean the sad truth is people only really take it up when they need to and that's good understandable i really understand that and then it will often fall by the wayside and then they'll use it again when they need it um but eventually it it will hopefully become incorporated into their lives i I think the game changer actually is now they're teaching it uh to school children so that it's part of their toolkit they use our book actually (laughs) it's being used in, in schools not not like what a standard part of the curriculum or just some schools they use it to train the teachers uh so before you can teach anybody meditation you need to have practice uh for at least a year you know so what they do is when people apply to become a teacher uh, as in teaching meditation right yeah not just school teaching school children well uh, actually both both um okay mindfulness in schools project is one of the main organizations that is is promoting and training ordinary school teachers to to teach meditation to children yeah no it is it's a brilliant brilliant organization and so they the first action is go away and get this book mindfulness a, a practical guide um and come back in a year and then they teach them techniques that are useful for 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 school children and i think that is the game changer because the kids will as well as learning to read and write all those basic life skills will learn these relaxation skills so that when they start getting you know anxious stressed or unhappy in the future maybe when they 
become teenagers, they will have ways of calming down before they become pathological, before it, they start, you know, everything spirals out of control. And that's, you know, that's beautiful. I, I love that. You know, teach the kids whilst they're malleable and don't have any context of what's weird and what's right and what's normal and what's odd. They just go, this is part of life, right? Life is going to throw you curveballs on a constant basis. Yes. Here's some tools to manage that. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, the results are there to be seen already. Um, but what's going to be really interesting is now this is being rolled out across the UK. You know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, we could be have a completely uh, re-engineered society, one that, you know, where stress and anxiety uh, and depression are diminishing year on year. Well, let let me counter that just slightly, Danny. I, I love I love the positive uh, perspective on, on on our future. Have um, I'm guessing you've heard of Yuval Harari? I mention him quite often on this podcast. Have you oh, heard yeah. of him? Uh, yes, yes. And he's a, he's a, a big proponent of meditation. I think he meditates for two hours every morning, which um, yes. yeah, that's pretty pretty, <laughs> pretty intense. Um, but he's got a couple of books out. I'm sure you've read uh, read them or aware of them. The second one is called Homo Deus, okay. and he talks about a fairly dark, not fatalistic, but fairly dark possibility of our future, given technology artificial intelligence, biochemical, um, you know, management of people, and, you know, the the closing down on industry as we begin to automate and put technology in place of people. So he talks about quite a dark and confusing space of creating this useless class where people are struggling to find utility in a world governed by technology. Um, So it's not plain sailing in terms of how our future is going to look and, you know, what things are going to control it both positively and negatively. But I think that's a very big reason why meditation has to be part of your future, just to manage your own self-worth and understanding of where you fit into the world by kind of having some context. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't see it as a negative, (laughs) the, um, this idea that we're going to have an awful lot more leisure time, um, I mean, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see it as great. You know, I'd <laughs> like to do a 10 hour week if, if possible. Um, I mean, I get this is what we, where we should be going as, as, the, as the human race. And, yeah. um, you know, hopefully it will be a gradual enough process. So you won't have a massive underclass that, you know, is, is, is has been poorly educated to do uh, a narrow range of things. Um, you know, I hope that the education system will just keep on lifting people up, you know? Um, the, yeah, I mean, I, th- there are so many dull jobs out there that should be and will be done by machines. And then that just liberates human potential. You know, of course, everybody's not going to suddenly become a poet or a painter, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, but I think that, you know, we should be aiming as as a species to have as much free time as possible. And, you know, I, there's so many things I would like to do with my time. And you ask anybody, you know, especially if they're doing a really dull job, you know, they, they who knows, they might want to make you know uh, custom motorbike cars, planes, whatever, you know, as soon as people have the time, and they have access to you know, training. You know, you'll you'll find everybody's got something they want to do with their spare time. 
I love I love the way you're going with this because uh, this is it's a great lead into my next question. Again, something you put in the art of breathing. You spoke about habits kill curiosity. Yes. So I'm I'm thinking about you know mindfulness meditation. I'm thinking about the value of curiosity and you know brainstorming and finding solutions to problems. Talk to me about if you've used mindfulness as part of your practice of writing your books, being creative, and if you've seen that in others. Yeah, I, it just, you know, it is very easy to get trapped in circular, repetitive thoughts and habits. And you can't be creative if you're constantly running over the same ground. And that's why people's best ideas are always, always happen when they're doing something else, when they're not at work or when they're not mm. thinking about work. You know, they might be in the shower, so they might, about, might be out for a walk, um, you know, any number of things. That's when people have their really interesting and creative ideas. You know, I mean, a classic example is Steve Jobs. Uh, he used to take the board of Apple uh, hiking in the mountains when he wanted to come up with some really interesting creative ideas or make important decisions because straight away you know as soon as they were out of the office their their whole horizon would broaden and then they could come up with better solutions and that's true of everything you know you go back to the ancient greek philosophers plato or whoever and they would often just go out for a walk when they wanted to think there's something about walking that enhances creativity uh, and it's i bet it's to do with you just seeing new things all of the time and new things trigger creative thoughts but meditation itself danny is it almost not um conflicting um objectives to both be almost and i'm going to use the wrong words i know you're going to correct me but absent of thought or Hmm. disconnected from thought not actively trying to think and problem solve versus you're having the space and time to actually you know find solutions like well are they not going against each other do you not want that kind of constant barrage of thoughts when you're trying to be almost thoughtless in in meditation. Well, firstly, and I know I'm I'm, I'm wrong with, with don't, that. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> the aim of meditation isn't to clear the mind of thoughts; it's to understand how your mind works and how it constantly ties itself in knots or conjures up scenarios that were never true and never will be true. You know, once you see that process happening, you suddenly have a huge amount of brain space to you know conjure up great ideas and the yeah i mean circular repetitive thoughts are the absolute antithesis of creativity so Mm -hmm. you know stepping outside of your thoughts for a while is just it's just a brilliant way of making decisions and and coming up with creative new ideas um and yeah i mean it's it's something we should be all aiming for um well let, let, let me put it let me put it this way because I, I think i may have tied myself up a little bit there trying to explain <laughs> the, the point so, so okay i'm doing 20 minutes of some kind of practice in the morning yeah uh, and we're going to talk hopefully close on you know, a, a simple way to get started but i'm doing this thing in the morning and i'm trying to not you know go off on tangents thinking about work and the next thing i've got to do later today and all that kind of stuff that would typically you know consume my morning trying not to think about that but in the space that i've created i get this good idea Mm. but i'm only five minutes into a 20 minute you know process 
do I stop and you know open my eyes up and scribble down the note or try and hold on to that thought so I don't forget about it? I mean, if I've created this space for new things to enter, yeah. is that going against the idea of kind of like not engaging in you know problem solving um, in the moment? Well, the thing is, you solve problems in many different ways, and conscious, rational thought is is only one way of doing it. You know, um, one of the if if you're faced with a problem, actually, the best thing to do is to not think about it. I mean, you you go through the process of accumulating information and coming up and thinking about it logically and rationally, and then the best thing you can do is is put it to the side, often, mm. and then the solution <clears throat> or a new idea will pop into your mind at some point so you know the the brain is a marvelous machine it works on countless different levels and we over the past few decades possibly for centuries in the west um, have decided that the only way to solve a problem is through rational critical thinking and it is absolutely brilliant for certain types of problems but often the best thing to do is to think about something logically, rationally, and critically, and then just put it aside. You know, I agree um, with that. Yeah. But at, so, so have you had again? Have you had moments where you're deep in a meditative state, and an idea for a book, uh, your the next chapter in your book has come up? Oh, yeah, I should start it this way. Yeah. Do you then? Do you then get out of your 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 state to write that down for fear of forgetting it? I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, um, often I I don't. What I actually do if that happens is I analyse how it feels. So I've got this this solution pops in my mind and I view it as just another state of mind, another train of thought. And I look at how my body reacts to that. And it's obviously, often it's like with excitement, my heart's beating, um, you know, I can feel, I feel a lot more alive. So I actually turn that into part of the meditation. And the advantage of that is, of course, it also fixes it in my mind oh. because I've got an emotional response. So at the end of the meditation, I can, you know, I can write it down or, or recall it. Um, so the trick is to turn it into a, a meditation. Um, so you're not trying to think about it whilst doing something else. You're, you're making it part of the process almost. Yeah, okay. yeah. But, of course, uh, if you are working on the meaning of life, for example, and you suddenly have a solution, it may be a good idea to open your eyes and write it down <laughs> quick. <laughs> or if you're a physicist who just solved some fundamental equation, you know, by all means, write it okay. down. <laughs> okay, no, good good advice. Good advice. Okay, there's there's one other question I want to ask before we we kind of put some practical uh, kind of tips getting started for people and that is breathing. Yeah. So you mentioned breathing obviously quite a lot in the art of breathing. Uh, one of the things you said which I thought was quite nice. Uh, you said um breathing is like massaging your organs okay i quite like that and you said that most people are not breathing properly yeah can we elaborate a little bit yes it's often because of the way we sit sitting slumped in a chair um for example um all of your all the muscles and organs are compressed into weird shapes and they push and pull against each other in ways they're not designed to do this is not going to kill you in the short term, but what it does is stimulate a stress response. Um, and 
if you learn to relax and breathe correctly, you, you end up in a, a virtuous circle, virtuous cycle, whereby uh, you, you, know, you begin to breathe correctly and that stimulates a part of the um, uh, nervous system to relax. When you relax, you begin to breathe more smoothly and deeply and you then relax a little bit more. So this is constant feedback between the brain and the body. Uh, and of course, the opposite is also true. If you're feeling a little bit stressed, you're, all, all of the muscles in your chest and abdomen contract slightly. Your brain then interprets that as you're feeling stressed. And so then you, those muscles tighten up a little bit more, which triggers the stress response a bit more. So you end up in a downward spiral. So often the best way of immediately reducing stress is to close your eyes, just focus on the breathing, take a few long, slow, deep breaths, and then relax into them. And you end up in a virtuous circle and surprisingly quickly you will begin to feel a lot less stressed i i, I totally agree danny i i also notice and maybe it's just increased awareness but i notice myself being shallow breathing so often during the day and then i go whoa like i'm actually feeling a bit stressed because yeah. i'm i'm breathing I'm, I'm negligibly breathing it's just in and out really shallow and yeah and relatively quick um and I'm, i i i being being a curious person, I ask myself, like, what? Why is that my default state? Why why do I why do we kind of go to this like non productive way of breathing um, autonomously? And it has to be a conscious thought to bring us into a place of more you know healthy, productive mm. breathing. You know why is it we we forget to breathe and breathe properly throughout most of the day? Well, I think it's just we are not designed to be sitting in one place one position for hour after hour after hour you know we are designed to move more or less continuously through the day and as soon as we start doing that um, our body just starts to silt up and mm. go wrong and it's just as simple as that you know we should be you know if we're working in office we should be standing up all the time walking about uh, lying down, if you can imagine it, um, getting up, wandering about. You know, that should be our default state, not sitting there slumped over a computer and a keyboard for, for three or four hours, and then going to have a quick coffee, and then coming back and sitting down for another few hours. That is not the way we are designed to function. Okay, so you think just the, 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 the general art of moving uh, as we once would have evolutionarily we would have been consistently moving for a big, yeah. big swath of the day that would have helped self-regulate yeah. our kind of breathing apparatus but the not moving is kind of just clogging it up a little bit slowing it all yeah, down yeah. And... i mean none of these systems are designed with 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 humans at the center <laughs> you know they are designed as if we are machines um, you know, it's a hangover from the Victorian era in the early 20th century. We are still being treated as organic machines. And, you know, at least the, the tech industry or at least the public face 
of the tech industry is a bit more um a bit more open-minded about these things you know you can wander about an office with a laptop or a you know an ipad or whatever sit down in a different place lie on a bean bag hey some people allow napping yeah 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 really forward thinking (laughs) yeah i mean why do they do this well it's because it's effective of course yeah okay so this has been great really thank you for just exploring this uh with me and, and responding as a as effectively as you have i've got one last question which is probably a, a slightly more meaty one but I, I doubt we'll need to take too long and that is really just to give people some kind of practical you know get starting position on how to bring mindfulness into their lives in some short way in the morning yeah. so i know you've got you know several books on this and people should go read those absolutely and we'll link to those in the show notes but let's give people listeners uh you know, a quick view on something easy they can get started tomorrow that can start to transform their relationship with themselves, their breathing and their thoughts. Okay. Uh, First off, uh, most of the meditations in my books are on our website, uh, franticworld.com. The quickest and simplest one of all is a breathing meditation. And you can get that from franticworld.com slash aob as in art of breathing if you go there download it stream it do whatever you want with it and um you know that is a great way of starting the day maybe put it on your phone or whatever or listen to it on the bus or train or in traffic whatever you know just begin the process you know the hardest step you'll ever take is Uh, just sitting down for the first time and meditating you know that's the most difficult part of meditation is beginning and so kind of like trick yourself if you like uh say to yourself i'm only going to do this for 30 seconds because i've only got 30 seconds to spare and then when you begin you realize actually this is really effective and you know hopefully people will begin to um to build it into their lives you know what, I mean, what, it, what have you got to lose? You've got a few seconds just to go and have a look, yeah. download it, stream it, see what happens. Demystify, demystify this for us, though, because the idea, the word meditation sounds complicated. It sounds like there's, you know, you've got to be trained by Buddhist monks and it's, you know, it's a process of years of understanding all the different meditative terms that people band around like to you know, you know, almost self-righteously, they talk about these terms, I can't even re- recite them, but different ways of meditating. And it all sounds like, oh, my God, that must be so complicated. But when they explain what they're doing, it's basically just breathing. <laughs> so help, you know, explain a, a simple breathing process technique and kind of what you're doing with your mind to get through those first five, 10 minutes of meditating. Well, first off, you can make meditation difficult and complicated if you want to uh, but i don't think there's any future in doing that um so the best thing to do is find yourself a chair in a quiet place sit down with your hands in your lap and your feet flat on the floor uh, your spine should be erect about an inch from the back of the chair and then just gently close your eyes and pay attention to all of the sounds and the smells that are around you for a few seconds. And then gradually focus on the sensations in your feet 
and your legs and your abdomen, chest, shoulders and begin to focus on the breathing, the way the air just flows in and out of your body. And then just carry on for 10 minutes or so and each time that your mind wanders, because it will wander, just gently bring your focus of awareness back to the sensations of breathing. And you just carry on for 10 minutes or so. And at the end of that, you will be dramatically less stressed. It doesn't sound particularly complicated. It's not. <laughs> it really isn't. The difficult bit is which, beginning. which is surprising because it sounds like where's the where's the IP in that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Is, doesn't need to be. Yeah, yeah. The difficult bit is starting. The difficult bit is convincing yourself that you have the necessary minutes to set aside. But if you decide, just say, right, I'm going to begin, and I'm going to begin now, and. If you then decide, right, I'm going to do this for five minutes each day for the next week and just see what happens. You know, it's, you know, just go away, download or stream some of the meditations from franticworld.com and just, just see where it ends up. And can you, can you fail at it or can you, can you do meditation badly? So say, for example, your first experience, you've gone... Do you know what? I was, I was doing everything they said, but I was constantly thinking about my next five things I've got to do. I was trying to like, you know, almost like have a blank canvas mind, but all these bloody thoughts kept coming in and you come out just going, that that clearly isn't the way it should be done. Is that a failure? Is that is that a problem? No, it's, it's impossible to fail at meditation because each time you realise your mind has wandered and you become distracted, that is the moment, that is meditation. It's that realisation that your mind has wandered. It's, a, it's that fraction of a moment that is crucial. That is the meditation. So paradoxically, the more that your mind wanders, it's the more you have more opportunities to, to, to meditate. It's like if you go to the gym and you're, you think, I failed because I, uh, you know, I, I didn't lift that weight. But yeah, I, I only lifted that weight halfway up. Well, actually, that is, you know, that is how you you you, you gain get stronger is by doing the exercises, and it's the same with meditation. The exercise is actually realizing your mind has wandered, and it's really as simple oh. and as straightforward. Okay, as that. okay. So not 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 fearing or getting angry yeah. with the fact that your brain is busy and, you know, frantic and constantly running off, actually embrace yes. that as another rep, another opportunity to bring yourself back. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, that, that's why it's impossible to fail. Every time your mind wanders, every time you get angry, every time you get exasperated with your inability to meditate, that is a moment of mindfulness. Love it, love it. Right, well, um, I think we've got to download or buy the, the books, get ourselves educated, go to franticworld.com and start because, hey, just like going to the gym or doing anything else, you know, it's, it's that getting started, which is, yeah. you know, just feel, fills you with anxiety and assumptions that it's going to be complicated and take too much time. And yeah. uh, the rewards are going to be too slim, at least up front. But at least in my experience, the rewards are fairly immediate, albeit I know I could get more from meditating because I, I feel I could get better at it. 
but there was still benefit even when I felt yeah. it was a little sloppy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's always that way. You know, even if you've been doing it for many years, you you still have the same hurdles of your mind running away with itself, feeling fidgety. Sometimes you question whether it works or not. Uh, these are all, you know, this is all part of meditation and it's all part of how the mind tricks you into not meditating. Yeah, we're, we're complicated beasts. We, we are indeed. Are. Um, but that's what makes life interesting. If everybody was purely rational, it would be a really boring world, I think. Exactly. Be too predictable, right? You, yes, we, exactly. we need some challenges. We need some suffering in life. Yeah. Um, is there any final thoughts, Danny? I've, I, hopefully, my my questions have kind of weaved us through some of the you know key themes that you would have liked to have imparted. But is there anything else that you would have hoped to talk about that we haven't? Um. No, I think we've pretty much covered everything. Uh, I mean, the thing I always stress is uh, mindfulness is not really a question of belief. You know, it works whether you believe in it or not. Um, you know, the evidence is 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 clear. It works, you know. And so just go out and do it. Uh, you know, do it for yourself. Learn for yourself because it's a practice, you know. Um, you know, you can sit there in a, in reading as many books as you want. But ultimately, it all comes down to practice. Agreed. Agreed. Get get it, get it, off your chair. Or the, get back <laughs> on your chair, actually. <laughs> Close your eyes and get on with it. <laughs> Fantastic, Daniel. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, we have referenced several of your resources already, but I'll give you one final chance just to summarise. Where can people find you and some of the, the best places to get started, some of the best pieces of work which they can yeah. uh, get through first? Okay, the main website is Frantic World. That's F-R-A-N-T-I-C world, W-O-R-L-D dot com. Um, you can download a really simple meditation to get you going, uh, franticworld.com slash aob as in art of breathing but just have a look around that site there are so many meditations that you can just use uh they're all free just go away and and, and try them i mean hopefully it'd be you know read some of the blog posts uh it'd be great if you bought one of my books but the main thing is just to get started on one of these meditations okay and are you on social media at all oh yeah um yeah uh twitter Dr. Danny Penman, uh, same for Facebook, uh, same for Instagram. Um, I've even got a LinkedIn page somewhere. Uh, but the main ones I use are Instagram and Twitter. So, And they're, they're all at Dr. Danny Penman, P-E-N-M-A-N. Lovely. Good stuff, Danny. Well, listen, I'm going to let you crack on and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for giving me your time today, Danny. It's been a true, true pleasure. And hopefully we can keep in touch. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anytime in the future, just give me a call. I'm, you know, I'm happy to talk forever and a day about mindfulness. Wow. What an episode. What an episode. It was jam packed full of goodness. And I hope that there's a lot of takeaways here for you. Now, please remember that the Be Your Best Self-Optimization program is imminently available. And you can go check that out by going to adaptnation.io and on the homepage, there will be a notify button. Press that and you will get notified as soon as it drops. And you're going to want to see this. This is a game-changing product. Anyway, until next time. 
I'll let you crack on and be your best. If you enjoy this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show. Feel free to get in touch with us via our website, adaptnation.io, or your favorite social media channel. This has been Adapt Nation. Till next time, thanks for listening.